We've all been through training programs, some of us have run them ourselves, and many of us have hired others to do it for us. But that event everyone seemed to like doesn't always move the needle on numbers. On this episode, the four key elements for a training strategy that gets results. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 446. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. So many of you in our audience care so much about leadership development, about helping people to learn and to grow. And one of the things I find that many of you are asked or at least brought into conversations in your organization is how do we best support learning and development, training, leadership development, coaching skills within the organization? And even if that may not be your primary role, I know many of you are often asked for your input on that. And you may recall about a month or so ago, we had Mark Allen on the show talking about getting results from talent development. And he mentioned the Kirkpatrick model. And I received so much feedback from that episode that I thought, wow, we should dive in in detail on how to really get results from training and how to evaluate learning and development activities effectively. I'm so pleased to welcome to the show today, Jim Kirkpatrick. He is the owner of Kirkpatrick Partners. He's an expert in training evaluation and the creator of the New World Kirkpatrick Model. He trains and consults for corporate, government, military, and humanitarian organizations around the world. Jim has co-authored three books with his late father, Don Kirkpatrick, who is credited with creating the Kirkpatrick Model. He's also written four books with Wendy Kirkpatrick, including Kirkpatrick's Four Levels of Training Evaluation. Jim, I'm so glad to welcome you to the show. Well, Dave, it's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for asking me on. I have been following your work and your father's work for the better part of a decade. It was introduced to me in my graduate program. And ever since I saw it, I thought, wow, this is the model that every organization should be following when thinking about how to be as effective as possible with training and learning and development. And so I'm, I'm so thrilled to be able to chat with you and to dive in on this. And we should probably start from the beginning on, you know, if an organization is going through the process of uh, either having created a training program or maybe even bringing in someone to do training and, and leadership development or whatever the topic is, why evaluate it? What's the importance of evaluation? That's a fine place to start. Well, the first thing from a tactical level is to make sure that what is being trained is the right material, trained in the right way. Want to make sure that it is hitting the mark to make sure people learn it, and actually it is things that they will be able to apply. So we want to make sure that the training is effective. But things have changed now. That doesn't cover it anymore, just to make sure the training is adequate. What needs to happen in order for as you're talking about, Dave, the results to occur, people actually have to apply what they learned or things won't change. And you'll be spending more money on training. It'll be going down the, down the black hole. So a second purpose is using evaluation to help inspire and compel people to actually apply what they learned on the job. 
And that means providing uh, support and accountability and encouragement and things afterwards and monitoring, evaluating what's going on in the field in order to increase performance. And then finally, the training gets a bad rap as far as contributing to mission, contributing to the bottom line. And so ultimately, evaluation can be useful to put together what we call a compelling chain of evidence that demonstrates that what has happened downstream, you know, with the with the training and, and the performance support and so forth is actually leading to some kind of impact so that senior leaders like many of you who are listening don't just see training as a cost center, but is really creating value. You really capture the fear, I think, that a lot of us have when we make an investment in a training program in the very early part of the book. And, and you cite a case study of someone, a training person or a human resources person getting a request from someone in the organization that we need to do more training on this. And they just kind of go and create the training and offer it. And it doesn't really address the problem because they didn't really go through this process. And I, I think almost all of us have been through an experience like that where we've either put together a training program or we've attended one and it was very well intended, but it didn't actually drive any behavior change or results in the organization. And that that's ultimately what we're trying to prevent, right? You know, you you said it and training gets a bad rap for good reasons because of the false belief that the training event itself is powerful enough to what I call cross the bridge between the learning side of an organization and the business side, that that training is powerful enough in itself to create performance improvement. And the honest truth and research bears it out is it just isn't of itself powerful enough to do that. So some things have to happen in order to, I think you call it supporting training and leveraging training so it actually does some good beyond happy students. Yeah. And there is the tendency for all of us to have an event happen and to see people fill out the evaluation forms at the end. And it says all nines or tens and smiley faces and people say what a great experience it was. And then nothing really changes, (laughs) right? And so it's a nice experience. And if all you're going for is a nice experience of having a day of people doing something, you know, maybe that's fine. But it it oftentimes doesn't really transfer to the things we really want. And I think that's where the four levels come in. And I'd like to dive in on them, but uh, tell me, maybe give us a big picture for those who've not heard of the model before, which I'm guessing is most of our listeners. How did it emerge and what are the different levels? Well, uh, my father was working as a professor at University of Wisconsin back in the 1950s, and he was delivering a training program for supervisors. So in order to get his dissertation, he had to have some research that he had used during it. And he thought, well, I might as well find out if they like the training. So I'm going to call that reaction. And then hopefully they won't just like it, but they'll learn something. And I'm going to call that learning. And then, well, learning doesn't do much good unless somebody does something with it. So I think I'm going to call that behavior. And then people behave differently and perform their jobs in order to create some kind of results. So he came up with those four simple, practical words. And years later, he wrote several articles and the industry, the the learning and development or training industry, read those articles and made a Kirkpatrick model out of it. So those are the level one reaction, two learning three behavior and four results. And 
Unfortunately, Dave, what has happened is people believe that the model starts with one. So they put so much effort into the smiley sheets, the happy sheets. And then they do a lot of testing and they get so wrapped up in the academics of that, that many of you who are, you know, on the business side of the house aren't really impressed by smile sheets and testing that we've really not crossed the bridge to the elusive Kirkpatrick level three and level four. And that's why we now have what we call a new world model that focuses on the business side more so than on the learning side. Yeah, this is a route I have gone down as someone who spent a lot of time in the training business as well of making the mistake of focusing too much on level one and level two, just reaction and learning. And as I was reading through the most recent book, the first thing that struck me is the reverse order. And I, I love that the model is really leading us that way because ultimately the reason we're doing this is for the results, any kind of training, learning, right. development activity, right? So let's start there. I am curious about level four, what your dad originally called results. When you were talking with an organization about results, I, I would imagine there's a lot of interpretation and misinterpretation about what is a result. Well, I think I can help clarify that from a new world model. Typically, people look at results as the ultimate answer to the question, did it work? You know, did we get the, the results we were looking for, bottom line, top of the mountain kind of things? That is a traditional approach. Did it work? But results in our world now is a much broader term because we don't want to just deliver training and then hope for the best and then see if it worked or not. Did we get the results? Because some things need to happen in order to create those results. And that is through our Kirkpatrick level three you know, behavior. But and back to your question, the new world of results are signs of progress. They are signs of success that are outcomes, level four outcomes of the level three performance efforts. It's like running a marathon. It's awful daunting to start at the starting line and then think, I'm just going to think of nothing more than 26 miles out. It's too high. It's too far. You need those milestones along the way. And now results are not just, did it work in the end, but are we seeing results, early signs of progress that can inspire us and help us make sure that ultimately we do finish 26 miles and we do get the bottom line results. So it's not just, did it work? but is it working? Still looking at outcomes. You use the term leading indicators when mm -hmm. thinking about level four, and our audience has, has heard me talk about leading indicators a bunch. And I think this is another place where this comes in. And I, I guess I have a question about this, Jim, is that in reading through the model and thinking about this, the question to ask, as you say in, in the book, the results, is this what the organization exists to do, deliver, or contribute to its customers or society at a high level? Am I getting this right that the answer to that question is the same for whatever program the organization is doing? So even if there may be two or three training programs going on within the organization, that ultimately that result is the same and the leading indicators, though, may be different for each individual program. Is that accurate? Am I getting that right? Dave, you've been doing your homework. Uh, that's exactly, exactly what it is because the flag never changes. That is the ultimate intent of whether, whether it's a government agency, the U.S. Army, whether it's uh, Apple computers, whatever it is, that is the same for everybody. But the path up the mountain, the leading indicators, 
may be different for each group. And all we can expect, you know, training and performance management to do is to contribute to right. the highest goal as far as mission critical programs, contribute their fair share. Okay, good. And so if I'm on an executive team and I don't have clarity on that question, are we delivering on these specific results of mm-hmm. what the organization is designed to do? That's probably step one before we do any work on thinking about what's a training program, what are we going to put together, who are we going to bring in from the outside, getting clarity there first. Not only is going to help in that particular engagement, but it's going to be our guiding light for whatever we're doing going forward. Guiding light. Absolutely. I I refer to it as a GPS address sometimes. What is the ultimate destination? But Dave, let me tell you what I'm going to caution your listeners to consider is that there's a whole lot of people out there now that are identifying the GPS address, the guiding light, and then they're going back and designing, developing, and delivering the training that they hope will get there. That does not work. And they're kidding themselves to think that they are now doing something that is going to work because they forgot the most important element here is once you've identified success, and that is level three. And you have to spend time figuring out what needs to happen in the field from a performance point of view that will lead to those leading indicators marching their way up to the flag. And then and only then do you develop what kind of learning package will be required to make that happen. And I want to dive in on level three and the behavior oh, specifically, because okay. this is such an important area. But even for that, I, I want to grab one more thing from level four that you say in the book, I think is really, really critical, and I, I bet people miss, is a lot of times the organization has already figured out what level four is. I mean, there's some metric that the organization is already using to measure success. And if I'm hearing you write in the work that Rather than trying to go and reinvent the wheel, I mean, if the wheel's not there, by all means, create it. But to look to the existing measures in the organization and what does the organization already measure as results, and then build your leading indicators in level four and results from there. Dave, you're right on again, because I tell people the easiest level to measure is level four. They go, what? How can that be? It's because HR is already measuring engagement and retention and attrition, those kind of things. Uh, and the business is, is already measuring signs of progress, whether it's healthcare, whether it's the army, whether it is manufacturing. And you merely need to negotiate and borrow those metrics to use them as your guideposts along the way. Level three is definitely the harder one because you're really in the trenches. Level four are merely those predetermined outcomes already in existence that you're merely using to track and make adjustments when you need to. Perfect. All right. So we've got level four. That's where we're going. Those are the results. And the step down from that is level three. And you mentioned this is the really where the complexity comes in. And you make a distinction in the book, you know, traditionally this was called behaviors, but you really make the distinction of what you call critical behaviors. What's Mm. the difference between just behaviors Mm. and critical behaviors? Well, too often People use competency models where they have dozens of competencies, and I'm not opposed to that, or just so many different behaviors that it really isn't fair to the employee that goes through training if they're not clear about what they're supposed to do when they get back to the job. And if you give them dozens and dozens of things, they're going to pick the ones that are probably familiar and easy for them to do. Instead of that, you want to pick out the few critical behaviors that will most likely 
bring about the level four outcomes and make sure they are clear about what those are. And those are the ones that you're really monitoring and encouraging rather than flooding them over with so many behaviors that they can't possibly do well with all of them. To help folks with the complexity around this, I think it might help to just get an idea of like, what's an example of a critical behavior and what's a way an organization would address that through level three? When you think about that, what comes up for you? Well, I think of leadership training and I I, kind of smile when I say leadership training because people will say, oh, that's soft skills. It doesn't really work for the four levels. I say, oh, on the contrary, it works fine as long as you identify what the outcome is from a business perspective or mission perspective. An example of a critical behavior, let's say for emerging leaders, new leaders, would be to hold weekly meetings with your employees to talk about performance issues and help guide them and inspire them. It may also be to a critical behavior of how to conduct a performance conversation with an employee that is maybe having some barriers to their performance. Mm -hmm. Or a third critical behavior might be where they are partnering with the supervisors from other departments in order to help maximize things. So I'd say those are three good ones that I would want them to focus on, believing if they do a good job with those three, it's probably going to lead to some good results. Obviously, they have other things to do, but those are the, the three main ones that will probably make the most difference. I'm glad you mentioned the leadership example, because I hear the same thing of like, well, it's, uh, it's leadership. We can't measure it. It's really hard to, you know, it's, it's too squishy to measure. And it seems like there's almost always a way to make something measurable. And I am curious about the example you gave of like thinking about the critical behavior of handling a performance feedback conversation, for example. Yes. I would yes. imagine that that's the kind of thing that it is easy for an executive or someone running a training program to say, okay, you all need to do this. And then people say, okay, we checked the box, we did it, but not necessarily measuring how effectively people did it. How does the model dive in on that? And that is a good example because people shy away from that. They want to do the warm, fuzzy stuff more so than they want to do that. And they may send, send them to a class on critical or crucial conversations or interactions or whatever, expecting that they'll do it. Well, they probably won't unless you make sure that they understand what they're supposed to do. And there will be some kind of observation. There may be peer support group, a community of practice. It may be a debrief afterwards, some role modeling, really hitting that heavy to make sure they don't, first of all, shy away from doing it. And second of all, do it in a respectful a way that's going to get the employee to do their job better. So that's one where you really want to stack the deck and make sure not only are they trained to do it and they're clear to do it, but the supervisors don't shy away from it either and say, let's take a look at a difficult behavior because that is going to be the key to performance of all the employees underneath that person that's gone through the Emerging Leaders Program. Yeah, and I think this is such a key distinction because it's, it's really easy to have a checkbox and like, okay, 90 days, you know, someone had a conversation done. And what I, what I hear you saying is there's a richness behind this of different ways of, of through observation, through coaching, through conversations to not only make sure that that happened, but that it happened in a way that really aligns with the intention and ultimately leads to the leading indicators. If under your watch in your organization, you have the authority over this, if all people are doing is delivering training and getting a smile sheet and testing at level two and a survey 
at level three, maybe a 90 day or 60 day, 30 day, I don't care how many days it is. That is not Kirkpatrick evaluation because all a survey does is to get a, a kind of a touch, a point of reference to see if people are applying it and maybe they're truthful on it, maybe they're not. But the key to the Kirkpatrick model is don't leave it to chance at level three and just find out if they're doing it. Make sure if it's a 90-day survey that during the 89 days before that, there is performance support and accountability for the critical behaviors. Or at 90 days, it will be long, long forgotten. I know the objection you hear a lot probably because I heard it too when we were talking with clients in the training world of doing this is, well, that's all fine and good but it's really expensive and time-consuming, and we're just going to take it on faith that if the evaluations at the end look good, that you know, uh. we've got the results we wanted. When you hear the objection of time and money to spend the time to do the things you just described, how do you approach that? Well, for one thing, I say I am not encouraging you to do this across the house with every single program, a one-hour webinar or a two-hour class on, on Excel or something, save this full power of the four levels for mission-critical programs, ones that will most likely address the mission. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is, this is not as complicated as you think it is. More and more organizations, including NASA, for instance, we work a lot with them, they are using more peer-to-peer support and accountability as part of their job rather than always taking the time of the supervisor with the vertical you know, kind of supervision. So that's one thing I say is you really you know, find a few ways of making sure that people are being observed and that they're being encouraged and so forth that can make the difference. And second of all, you can't afford not to because uh, with the NASA, for instance, I say, what's the end result? And they'll talk about safe space exploration, things like that. They also say, we can never, ever afford to have another Challenger or another Columbia. Yeah. And therefore, you cannot risk that by taking level three too lightly because both of those spacecraft went down because level three and level four leading indicators were ignored. Yeah. You know, there were people shouting out saying it isn't safe. Others say, well, we're going we're gonna to do it anyway. So you can't afford to not pay close attention to level three and maximizing performance. I'm curious about what you mentioned, the peers working together. Mm -hmm. What's an example of how that looks ideally in a level three situation? Well, I think two ways. One is virtual, where you have like a weekly or a monthly touch base with the people that have gone through, let's say again, the leadership training, the emerging leaders training, and have a couple of seasoned supervisors in there that are willing and able to help. And on that call, they talk about What's going well? Oh, way to go. Uh, And maybe learning from that person, something that we didn't know. Or who's struggling? Oh, you're struggling. Well, let's all see if we can help Charlie or Karen figure out what she or he might do to get over that. But it's about encouragement. It's about providing best practices. I'm a big fan of the touch base because it keeps those behaviors top of mind rather than training somebody on something and them not hearing anything for 90 days. Yeah. And also not terribly costly either. I mean, there's a time component there, of course, but getting peers together and providing a framework and creating the space for that is something almost any organization can do regardless of the budget involved, right? Dave, I got to be honest with you. I think that stuff is excuses where they say it's too hard. It's too complicated. 
And how about, there's my favorite is, I can't control what happens to people after they leave the classroom. So we're going to let someone else deal with that. And I'm saying, you're right. You can't control it, but you can, and you have to influence it by going across the bridge, earning the right, talking to supervisors and managers and helping them to leverage training. Because I promise you, a lot of those people, a lot of you listening in on this are pouring training dollars down the drain. For instance, again, with leadership. Oh, that leadership program didn't work. Let's buy another one next year and start over. Let's buy another one and start over. I'll tell you, there's nothing wrong with the leadership program. It's about the execution at level three that failed. I was struck so many times in my career at Carnegie how we'd, it was the exception when we'd have an organization come in and really partner with us to do the follow-up and to do the peer coaching like you talked about and to do the level three kinds of activities. More often than not, the mindset was, okay, so-and-so is going to training or a team's going to training and we'll send them and then they come back. And we just assume that work was done. And the larger intention in the activities to really lead to the level four results just didn't happen in practice. And this is, I mean, because level three is so important and it's so often missed by so many organizations, thinking of the, the person listening, Jim, who's maybe part of a team that's putting together a leadership development program or creating something or maybe even bringing something, someone from the outside. If there was one thing that people could take as a first step that would get them moving in the direction of being mm-hmm. really well aligned with level three, what would be the first step or invitation you'd make for people to do? Well, Stephen Covey, one of his seven habits was seek first to understand before you seek to be understood. And I had a conversation once with him and I said, which of your seven habits does a learning profession need to do? And that's when he told me, because we agreed that people are out there, you know, in well-meaning peddling our competency models and our learning objectives and not going to the supervisors and managers at level three and resisting the temptation to try and sell them something resist the temptation to use our language and just seek first to understand, find out what their performance challenges are, their motivation challenges, their staffing challenges, and earn the right when they finally ask us, is there anything you can do to help? So it would be to physically, humanly cross the bridge, spend time with them, and create some type of a a working relationship, a, a trust that will then lead to them usually saying, let's pilot a program and let's give it a proof of concept, a a pilot program with this new method of learning and performance rather than training. So that's kind of the two things. Seek first, understand, earn the right, and then a pilot program to prove that it can be much better than the past efforts. I hope it's not lost on everyone listening that we haven't yet talked about level two and level one. And that's intentional <laughs> because really, ah. especially for our audience who are you know leaders in the organization influencing, level four and level three really are places that at a strategic level, we should be thinking about and asking questions about to the folks inside and outside organizations who are tasked with us. That said, Jim, there is a level two and a level one. And one of the things that you say in the book is that you know sometimes the investment that's made, especially at level one, is greater than the importance uh-huh. of it. And just so folks know and can utilize the language, what is level two and what is level one? And then how does this fit into the results and the behavior changes that we're really aiming for? Well, level two, let's see, what is that again? I can't remember. I hardly ever talk about it. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. 
I'm kidding. My dad said, make sure you talk about level one and two. It's the bedrock. I say, okay, dad, if you're listening, I'm talking about it. But I don't want those of you listening to think that this is a training evaluation model and it always has to be training because then you might just tune this out. This is about any time you're trying to create change, whether it's a new policy, whether it's new procedures, whether it's new software, whatever it is, this is where you're trying to improve performance. Now, level one and two obviously means that somebody has to learn it. It isn't always a training class. It can be you know, a new policy, implementing a new procedure, working on a new software package, a new org chart or something. But that really means that they have to know what they're supposed to do, how to do it, and that they're clear about what's expected of them when they get back on the job to actually implement it. So that one and two is merely setting the table with the knowledge, the skills, the attitude, the the confidence, and the commitment to go forward and to take their responsibility to apply what they learned along with the help that is on the other side waiting to say, welcome back, we're here to help. And level one, one of the visual parts, of course, of training that everyone sees is level one. It's the evaluation at the end. Level one's worth doing, right? Because it's important data to collect. What are organizations doing effectively these days around level one when you're advising oh, people to look at? What, what do they do? I got a great example. TSA, you know, in the US, those are the people that screen our bags, the airports and so forth. And obviously it's a global concept. But what they used to do, Dave, is they would hand out their level one smile sheets. A smile sheet is a survey right after training where they ask people different questions about the experience that they did through the training and make sure everybody takes them before they leave the classroom. And then they would download them into some kind of a collection system, and then they would spit out a report. What TSA now does, they first of all, don't rely on the survey alone because it just doesn't give you enough information, enough truth to make a difference. So what they do is they talk to the instructor. They have people go in and observe it. You know, a guest may come in from the supervisor and they use what we call blended evaluation to get a more complete picture of what's going on in the classroom rather than just relying on the student. And now what they're doing is they are taking all that information, they are analyzing it, they are drawing conclusions and making recommendations for change rather than just going through the motions of collecting and storing data. So that's what we encourage you to do is use multiple sources, multiple methods, and do something with the data to make improvements in the classroom, just like we do at level three, you know, multiple sources in order to make improvements in the field. And you can systematize so much of level one, so why not collect the data so that you you can use it? And one of the things that was taught to me early on is that the level one, you know, the you know whatever way that data is collected, is also really good at identifying quickly if something really went wrong in the training experience or the environment, those kinds of things too. And that's good because you can identify something didn't work through a survey or an interview or something, but you may not have enough information to make any intelligent change. So what you do then is you go fishing for more information. You talk to people or use some different source to get a clearer picture of what it is. So you're making sure that the intervention that is applied is one that will fix the problem. This is such an important model for leaders of all kinds to be knowledgeable about. And to your point, Jim, I think about the Kirkpatrick model, not just when I'm designing training or thinking about leadership development programs, 
put in all kinds of things <laughs> where people need to have behavior change. And I think this is a model you can apply in a lot of places where you're trying to affect change and you want to change behavior in order to get to results. That may be in a training program, but it may be in a lot of other places too, right? Oh, Dave, now be careful what you say, because there's a whole lot of people out there that want to say this is a training evaluation model. <laughs> Dave, you're, what are you talking about? Poor Don would roll over in his grave. But the truth of it is, is this is a change management model. Yeah. It, evaluation just sells it short. I'm really glad that you that you mentioned that. Oh, good. All right. So we could talk for about four more hours on this. Ah. Uh, so I know that there are folks who are hearing this and will say, all right, I really do want to dive in. The book, of course, is Kirkpatrick's Four Levels of a Training Evaluation. We are going to link that up in the weekly leadership guide for everyone. In addition, there's a bunch of resources that are available on the website too, right, Jim? There are. Yeah, we have a, a website that is kirkpatrickpartners.com, and there's over 100 free items on there. There are different job aids and toolkit, and there are white papers and articles and things that are free. If you register, just complete the free registration, kirkpatrickpartners.com, and, and we've got PowerPoint slides and so forth. If we can help you, Dave, someone the other day ran into me and said, oh, I just thought Kirkpatrick was a model. I didn't know there's real people. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm a real people. So was my dad and the others here. But you can contact us at information at kirkpatrickpartners.com. Phone number is 770-302-3500. We are real people and always glad to talk to people because the human factor is so important when it comes to all that we're talking about here. We cannot just rely on automation and technology, but the human factor, and it can start with talking to us, and we'll help you with whatever questions you have. Well, speaking of the human factor, you know, leaders and experts are always learning and growing. Since the new book has come out, Jim, and you've gone around the world and are teaching people about the model and how to use it well, I'm curious, what have you changed your mind on in the last few years? <sighs> that is a, an excellent question. No one's asked me that before. I think the one thing is that I have come to realize more and more that as an industry, whether you call us talent or learning and training, I've changed my mind to trying to get them to focus on making a business case for training to people who are in the business. Because all that typically happens is just trust us, but we don't make a good business case for level three. You know, it's about performance. And if we don't deal with performance, there will be no results. So I've really changed my mind and my emphasis about that and, and making sure that we make a good business case that we need to stack the deck against human nature. Jim Kirkpatrick is the author of Kirkpatrick's Four Levels of Training Evaluation. Jim, thank you for all the work you and your family have done over the years to support all of us in learning. Really grateful. Well, appreciate you inviting me on here, Dave. If you're looking for more after this conversation with Jim, three other episodes I'd recommend to you. One of them is episode 413, Effective Delegation of Authority with Hassan Osman. I am asked often about how to delegate more effectively. It is a challenge for leaders at virtually every level. Even those of us who have been leading, managing people for many years still find it a challenge to delegate effectively. Not only the things that should get off our plates, but also the things 
just as importantly, that we should be delegating for the benefit of developing others. Episode 413 is the how-to on exactly where to get started. It's a little over 30 minutes, and Hassan's book is probably a little over an hour to read. It's a quick read. That will get you started on some pretty significant steps if you, like me, find yourself sometimes struggling with delegation. 413 is the place to begin. I'd also recommend episode 421, Help People Learn Through Powerful Teaching with my guest, Pooja Agarwal. Pooja is an expert on helping people to learn. In that episode, we talked about the research the psychology, the science behind learning, and she teaches us some of the practical things that you can do if you are the person who potentially is leading the training or you are advising the person who's doing that or perhaps you're putting the strategy together. Regardless, there's a ton of principles in there and things you can bring into your own staff meeting that'll help people to learn and retain information more effectively. Lots of practical tips in episode 421 for that. And then finally, I'd recommend episode 435 related to this conversation, Tie Leadership Development to Business Results. Mark Allen was my guest. He's an expert on corporate universities, actually is the person who first introduced me to the Kirkpatrick model. So thank you, Mark, for that. He was on recently, uh, inspired me to reach out to Jim. So thank you, Mark, for that. And if you are looking for even more on the big picture, on thinking about how training, learning and development fit into the larger picture of corporate entities, of organizations, and thinking about developing people, episode 435, a great compliment to this conversation. All of those episodes you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website, and all of those episodes are tagged under talent development, which is one of the topics on the website. When you set up your free membership, you'll have access to be able to search the entire library of episodes since 2011 weekly by topic. You'll be able to dive in there in detail and do the full search. In addition, my entire library is online. Two full audio courses, including how to set your first personal vision, all of that available for free, plus access to my own personal library, a ton more there inside the free membership. Just go over to coachingforleaders.com and set up your free membership, and you will be off and running on getting access to everything inside the membership portal, including the weekly leadership guide coming every Wednesday. If you are not getting that already when you set up your free membership, You'll start receiving that with tons more details on every recommended episode, the notes and links every week. Have a fabulous week and see you next Monday for our next conversation. Take care.